I'm Kristen Kelly, and this is Mom School. Hey guys, we're here. We're doing it. Finally, it is episode one of Mom School. I am Kristen Kelly, and I am so freaking excited that you are here, and I am so grateful that you are listening. The plan originally was to launch this podcast during Maternal Mental Health Month, which was last month in May, and then the entire world sort of fell apart there for a bit. And I know we are all still in the middle of picking up the pieces and putting them back together. So a lot of you have been very open with me about your mental health and that your mental health is definitely not at its peak right now, given the state of the world. So I thought it was still appropriate to bring on one of the brightest doctors I've ever spoken with to chat with us. Her name is Dr. Asherina Reem. She is Psyched Mommy on Instagram. If you don't follow her, go do that now because she has some of the most relatable, but at the same time, like deep, insightful content I have ever seen. I am so grateful that she agreed to come on here and chat with us because what I find invaluable about her and really special is that she's been in the trenches herself. She is a mother who has suffered her own maternal mental health battle. So this is not a male doctor telling you that the baby blues, you know, they're just going to work themselves out. It's like, all right, bud, thanks. She's gotten out of the darkness herself. So she approaches her clients. She approaches her work with her heart. Her heart's been there before. And that's really rare. And I think it's really, really special. When she became a mom, she shared that she became very aware of the limited support and education in the community regarding the care for women. So she created a course called Keeping Mommy in Mind, where she lets women know that if you feel different than how you thought you'd feel after welcoming a baby, it is okay. She says you just need the right tools and resources to help you feel less alone challenge negative thinking patterns, and repair whatever feels lost or broken. She's just created a non-judgmental, welcoming community full of knowledge, full of resources. And given that this is the first episode of season one, I decided that I would share my story at the outset. So you might be listening, being like, Kristen, I don't care about you I'm here to listen to the doctor, but I also wanted you guys to know where I was coming from and I wanted her to know where I was coming from as well so we could have a really open, honest conversation. And through this episode, you'll see that she shared a lot of the same experiences that I did. And I hope that that allows you guys to feel less alone wherever you are in your motherhood journey. If you're feeling great, great. If you're feeling horrible, I hope that this episode serves to remind you that it gets better and then it gets beautiful. So here is my chat with Dr. Asherina Reem. I worked my ass off, finally got my dream job. I was working at People Magazine. Everything was going great. And then I got pregnant, surprise. And my pregnancy was kind of awful. I had a placental abruption. It was pretty traumatic. I realized after the fact, she was born little, but she was born early. And I thought the worst was over. No, I got terrible postpartum depression. And so I took time off work. And then when I gained my footing again, I kind of was like, God, this entertainment correspondent bit 
and researching the Kardashians just is not, <laughs> it, it seems so silly to me now after having gone through this whole transformation, you know, it's like I had a whole like existential crisis that I needed to figure out what I wanted to do. I still love the journalism and storytelling bit, which is why I am doing this podcast, but I really just want to help women because the more I shared my story, the more people were like, no, me too, me too. Mm-hmm. And I had the hardest time admitting I struggled I don't like being a stay-at-home mom. I don't want to do this some days. I had the hardest time even saying those words. And so I just want to have this be a community where we can say that and support one another. I feel like you really just shared part of my story and sharing yours because that's kind of how I felt (laughs) and how I continue to feel. And being at home, like right now, our daycares and our preschools haven't opened. It's been crazy trying to navigate work But just like you, I left like a really big time job at a healthcare system where I was like climbing up the ladder there. And then I thought I would never want to leave this position. (laughs) I honestly returned to work. And that first like few weeks, I was like, I am not doing this. Like this sucks. (laughs) That is how I felt. So three months in, you know, People Magazine was super supportive about me Mm -hmm. coming back to work. It was really a, a me thing. I couldn't handle it because... I had this belief and it was subconscious at the time, but I thought to be a good mom, I have to be really present and I can't be present and continue to climb the ranks in this cutthroat industry. It's just not going to work. Funny thing is I even created Psyched Mommy, like right when I resigned, I resigned and I'm like, I'm going to document my journey of motherhood. And then it turned into like a really authentic, transparent, showing the ugly of what I was experiencing. And I didn't expect that people would be like, oh my gosh, me too. You know, I'm I'm sharing something and I'm like, people are going to think I'm awful in sharing this. (laughs) I had the same sentiment. I literally would press send and I would like hide it under a pillow. Like, God, I'm a shit mom. I'm a shit woman. And then no, so many women would say me too. And Mm -hmm. so it organically naturally happened for you. You resigned at... I was working, I was a psychologist at Banner Health System, which is like owns all of Arizona, basically, and some other states in the Southwest. But yeah, like I was doing well there, had been there for four years. And I was like, you know, and actually my husband's the one that pointed it out. And it's funny because he's married to a psychologist. So he's like, this is impacting your mental health. Why do you keep going? And then I was like, Right. Can I, do I really have that? Me into it, right? <laughs> to myself, it's like, do I have an option? I didn't know I even had the option. It felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to work. And then I got there and I felt like I can't juggle this. Cause like you said, you feel like I can't be doing two things at my best potential. Like it's just not possible for me to be like juggling all these things and feeling good about it. And then I came home and then I realized, oh my gosh, this is not piquing my interest. I'm bored. I feel like there's more to life. <laughs> God, I, I felt this way. And I can't believe now that I felt that way for, I mean, over a year. Yeah. I would look at my daughter and I feel like we always are like, but I love him so much. It's like, uh-huh. we know you love him so much, but I am somebody who thrives on connection and being around adults. I was literally just like banging a spoon on my head all day long, going nuts. And then finally I thought, I'm miserable. I need to figure out what to do. And so many other women have said the exact same thing. So what is your advice when a woman comes to you and they feel like they've lost themselves in motherhood? I think that's such a common experience. And we 
feel like it's not. So I talk about this a lot, even on my Instagram and on social media, like the identity crisis of motherhood. We feel like, you know, I've gained some things and we always want to qualify, right? Like, just like you mentioned, it's like, I am not fulfilled, but I still love my baby. And we don't have to qualify that. It's okay to say this is a big transition. And just like- I just got the chills. We've been talking for five minutes (laughs) and I love that. We don't have to. Yes. We don't have to do that. So give yourself permission to just say this is hard with a period at the end of it. I think part of it is like when we enter any transition, like say you go to college or say you get a new career, perhaps like you get married or somebody gets divorced or you moved, we expect it's going to like rattle us a little bit. Like this is a big life transition. But when we have children, it's almost like we just expect that it's going to be this natural transformation. We're going to fall into this new role and it's going to be seamless. And it's like, but how, how did we expect that? You're bringing in a third party, sometimes, you know, multiples (laughs) into your home. You've never met this person. You've never done this job before. There's no onboarding and it's going to be hard. You're going to lose parts of yourself because it's going to take obviously doing something completely different, which means we're going to be eliminating some of the things that we used to do for ourselves. So I think part of the advice is allow yourself time to grow into that position. Know that there's going to be growing pains. But also keep seeking and keep turning into, you know, what is it that I need? Ask yourself this all the time. Well, what is it that I need? What is it that I need for me? Not just for this baby, not just for my partner, for me. What do I need? What's filling me right now? And that is not a selfish question because I think that was something I was hung up on was I had this belief that if I viewed motherhood as something like you say, getting a job, making a big life transition... I don't know. I felt like that was wrong, but now I see that that's exactly what it is. You're meeting a new person. Sometimes it's not this glowing experience like you see in society and in movies and whatnot. It's really a transition that you need to handle like you would any other transition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really about having compassion, self-compassion. I talk about this a lot with my clients and I mean, wherever, even in my course, but we talk about like, how would you treat somebody else in this position, in this very similar position? If a really close girlfriend came up to you and said, I'm having a hard time with this, you wouldn't be like, well, it's supposed to come naturally, figure it out. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's such a good point. And that's how we speak to ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's like, why do we do this? <laughs> why do you think it is almost, and this is a blanket statement, so not for everybody, but for a lot of women, That's kind of our default. We go into wanting to do it all, not wanting to complain, feeling this guilt, even though it is completely unwarranted. Why do you think we are like this? There are a lot of pieces that go into this. And I find (laughs) that a lot of new moms that I speak to that struggle the most have a profile of like their makeup, their genetic makeup and who they are. And I find that the moms that have the hardest time are perhaps those that might have some perfectionistic tendencies, who are goal setters, who like things to be a certain way, like predictability. And then here comes motherhood. It's like chaotic, unpredictable. You never know what to expect. And you're having a little bit harder time. These people, these mothers are often also setting expectations for themselves, right? That's kind of in the genetic makeup of, I should be, and I should be doing this this way. And then we take that from our world experience. Like, who have I watched as a mother? Was it my own mom? Was it moms on TV? Was it my friend's moms? Who have I been aspiring to be? And then now I'm comparing myself to that experience that I didn't get the whole picture. It's not like 
you don't really know what your mom went through until you become an adult. And I guess you start to reflect on, oh, okay. It wasn't that perfect. (laughs) Right. And then we're comparing ourselves. So we're always falling short to these comparisons, these idealized expectations. And then there's disappointment and there's letdown. And then we feel shame and guilt. So I often have moms do the self-reflection, like where did these ideas come from and where do you change the expectation and the idea rather than changing yourself? Because we cannot be like, you know, well, I just need to get better. It's kind of like, well, how do I loosen up this expectation? Cause I don't think it was accurate. I don't think it's like a real picture of everything that was going on. It's so funny that you phrase it like that because I was recording the trailer for this podcast and I said exactly that you're watching as a child. I was watching my mom be a mom. I was watching the moms around me be moms. And I had this picture of what it looked like. So when my daughter arrived and I was suddenly feeling lost and confused, I had to question those beliefs that I held and question what it looked like to be a good mom. And now my daughter's two and a half. I'm glad I caught this before she was 25 and a half. And I'm able to say, in order to be a good mom, I need to be a fulfilled woman. I need to have things outside of motherhood that I'm passionate about because I want her to see me living in my best self. So what do you think about women who need something more than motherhood? I would say I'm speaking to myself because (laughs) (laughs) I'm one of those women and there's no right or wrong way to really parent. I work with my clients to identify what does a good mom mean. And when we get Oh, I want I want this. I want I want to know this. <laughs> this yeah. is so good. <laughs> we identify that because if we don't really talk about it, then we're lining ourselves up against everything. Yes. In our brain as we're like, you know, working through the day, we're thinking, well, a good mom should. And then I want people to write down what are those shoulds, right? And then I tell moms, you're shitting all over yourself because this is not realistic. But when we get to the root and the crux of what is a good mom, we're talking about, am I loving? Am I affectionate? Do I keep my child safe? Am I making, you know, or needs met? Do they know I'm going to be available if they need me? Am I responding most of the time? I don't expect us to be responsive and in it emotionally 24 seven, but I want people to identify these for themselves. And everybody has an idea of what a good enough parent is or a good mom is. And sometimes when you get to writing this stuff down and you start talking about it, you realize how one of your ideas or more are kind of silly. If it's like, I should have a home cooked meal for every single meal of the day. And it's like, well, is that reasonable? And is that really going to change or impact the life of me or my child in 15 years? Probably not, right? Like your mm-hmm. kid's gonna be okay if they have Chick-fil-A for dinner. Like we we got like Yep. And they've done that. Many we really I think we have to identify what that looks like and how important is it based in your own values. So this is something I talk about as well. It's like I love having these conversations like this that we're having right now because this is really coming from a lot of sessions that I have. And we talk about my values. What do I value as a person? Because that's kind of what I want to value in motherhood. And in this relationship that I have with my child or children, and if I don't value it and I'm doing it because I think that the world is expecting me to do this, or if I think my mother-in-law or my mom or my husband or my wife or my whomever, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. So we get to the crux of what do I believe a good enough mom looks like and what is she doing? Do I value those things? Are they independent of what everybody else in your life thinks? Yes. Ask yourself in your heart, what do you know a good mom? I think that Inherently, as mothers, we know this if we shut our minds up enough and sit down and think about it. Yes. 
it's like a revelation when I talk to moms and it sounds like such a silly thing, but you know, they've got all of these things they're doing and they think they have to be doing. And then when I get to, what do you think a good mom is? And it's really simple. The list is usually like a few things. Right. This is what I think it is. And I'm like, wow. So all that other stuff, you've been doing extra credit. <laughs> right. We overcomplicate it so much. You talk about this revelation and I think I'm so glad I figured this out now with young kids because I was talking to an author, Eve Rodsky, the other day, and she tells a story in her book, Fair Play, about a woman who, I don't know, her kids were older, had flown the nest, and her husband wanted to get a divorce. And she said that she had given everything she had to be this perfect mother. She was the quintessential PTA mom, you know, the image of a good mom, right? The stereotypical good mom. And she was empty and she was broken. And now her husband wanted to leave her. And she said she lost her right to be interesting. And that stuck with me because I would assume, I don't know this person, I just read the story, that she gave everything she had to motherhood. And to not do that is selfish. And what you are saying, and what I believe to be true, is it's actually the opposite. If you Mm -hmm. take care of yourself, I mean, really take care of yourself, not like mani-pedis and facials, but meet your needs, you are helping your family more than if you were not to do that. Do you think that's 1,000%. I heard Lisa Nichols, she was giving a talk and she talked about taking care of ourselves and obviously not in the Instagram world of taking care of ourselves. And I hate to say that, but she she says that it's a declaration of self-love. And it's such an important lesson to teach everybody around us, especially if you've got little eyes watching. You want to show them how important it is to care for your needs and to set a boundary and to say, no, thank you. I can't do that right now. And to really verbalize. I tell my son this all the time, and he's probably close to your daughter's age. And he'll be asking me to do stuff. And I'm honest with him. You know, mommy can't do that right now. Mommy's going to be taking care of this right now. She needs to do this for herself. And to somebody else, it might look a certain way. But to me, I know that I have to teach him this. I need my space. I need my time for to care for myself. I need to do things that inspire me and spark creativity in me. And that's what I need. His needs might be different when he grows up, but I want him to know it's okay to have those needs and that we don't shut our needs off to make other people happy and to be you know, self-sacrificial or be martyrs. I mean, you can people please all day, but I don't want him to end up feeling like, I lost the privilege, you know, to take care of myself because he's been doing that all along. Yes. The martyrdom, of course, reading untamed, like every other woman, I think in quarantine (laughs) and it is a Glennon Doyle mentions the martyrdom in motherhood. And that was just so powerful because it's so, it's so true. So how do you recommend your clients? What do you say to them, your patients, when they say, I'm always comparing myself to like the beaver cleaver mom or just they're comparing themselves. What do you say about comparison? How's that working for you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's a good one. Actually, I'll go sit in a room by myself and think about it. I could probably come to the answer myself. Like this freaking sucks. <laughs> I, oh, whatever we do as people, I do have... I do have my clients really navigate, like, does whatever I'm doing make me feel? Like, how do I feel inside? What is this making me think? And then how is it benefiting my life? So like, is sometimes comparison can be helpful. And I say this because like, I remember being in high school and feeling like, okay, well, I need to know how is everybody else tackling this issue, right? And if I have no clue, sometimes it's good to get like an idea. Oh, okay. So this is how we're going to do this. 
good. If you, we need like a basis for safety or for instruction or how something is going, great. But when it comes to motherhood, it's such a personal experience. So what I desire to do with my child or children, how I want to experience my family or work, that's really based on my values, my desires. So somebody else down the street, she can desire to stay at home and not work or pursue a profession outside of her home all day long. And that's okay. So the comparison is not really a fair one. And that's something that we really- Because we're all so different. Yes. Yes. So we're not all working on the same exact task. And the one thing I want people to remember is that we can all raise children our own way and be successful at it. So we can all raise children our own way and be successful at it. Yeah. That is good. We can raise great children. We can instill our own values and we can all be successful. If we're going to determine it as being successful or not, we can all do it. We don't have to do it the same way. So that's something that I want to inspire moms and parents. Like if we're going to be comparing, remember these things, but also like, how does the comparison make us feel? And if you find that you're vulnerable to this comparison, what boundaries do you need to have in place? Like, is there somebody that you feel, honestly, I'm comparing too much with, or what we are talking about is resulting in this comparison game. I remember early on, like that fourth trimester, everything felt like a comparison with like the new moms. You know, you'd go to the new mom groups and I tried that out for like two seconds and I was like, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Same. (laughs) I don't want to compare what your, you know, how long your kiddo is sleeping. I don't want to talk about how much you spent on X, Y, or Z. I just want to like get out of my house and feel human. Yes. Oh God. Yes. It's funny with my second, it was so different, but with Ava, my daughter, I remember going to these classes and I'd be like, Oh fuck her sock fell off. Like (laughs) I know that person's looking at me because, Oh my God, I forgot to bring her bib. Like the, Oh God. Like I was, no one is thinking about me. Everyone's thinking about their own damn selves. But you mentioned something boundaries and I am a people pleaser. And I know a lot of my friends are the same way. I want to be liked. I think we all want to be at some level, liked, loved, Mm -hmm. but I think I'm like somewhat self-aware and I've like read 900 self-help books, but it wasn't (laughs) until I went to therapy after Ava that I really learned about boundaries and how crucial they are in protecting my well-being. So Mm -hmm. will you talk a bit about boundaries, what they mean, why you need them, how you implement them? Boundaries are so hard because I find that most of the people that come to talk to me have this problem with people pleasing or overextending ourselves or wanting to be accepted, not wanting to offend. And this is hard when you want to be happy yourself because now you're just constantly worried about everything else. I always describe, and I started this off in session as boundaries. We can think of them and it's easier to think of them physically, right? You know, I grew up in Michigan. So people had like chain link fences around their yard and you could still see your neighbors. So they're semi, I guess, permeable. You could still see people and you could still pass something over the fence. And in Phoenix, we've got like these big block fences. Like you cannot see a soul from your backyard. And <laughs> I think I like Phoenix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it really speaks to like our physical boundaries and how this translate emotionally. So we want to be the gatekeeper of who we let in, what we let out, who can be in our space physically, emotionally. And there is something to be said about how permeable are my boundaries? How rigid are they? Or do I even have any? Because when we're thinking about physical, like this is my home and this is my property. And if you didn't have any fence, anybody could kind of come on 
if they wanted to like take your bike from your backyard or I, I'm kidding, but really like take whatever <laughs> they kind of have access to that. And that's what it's like emotionally. If we have no boundaries, people have access to us. They can really hit us in these tough spots that we don't feel so good about or feeling really vulnerable or emotional. And we start to set them. However, you want that chain link fence, you can still see them, but you can also tell them like, don't get too close it can be really helpful because now we are setting the expectation and we are also that gatekeeper that says, you know what? I don't need this right now, or this is not working for me right now. And it's crucial because I find most of the things I talk about in therapy are people that are lacking boundaries and everyone else is thinking they're helpful or they are just overstepping, but we haven't, there's nothing there that we're saying, you know what? This is not okay with me. So what happens is we're feeling burnout. We're feeling like we become responsible for everybody's emotions. We're feeling like we can't... Yes, the codependency bit is huge. Yes. Oh my goodness. I have an entire post about this, about boundaries on Instagram. And I talk about this, but like we're constantly saying yes when we really want to be saying no. And it's not just that we develop resentment, but we haven't talked about it. So we haven't shared with that person, you know, this really bothers me or I'm having a hard time with this. Could we do this instead? But we're just developing this resentment because we haven't shared our feelings and what our needs are. So it's a practice. And I will say that if you're a recovering people pleaser, don't expect that you're going to go from, I say yes to everything to like, I'm now going to, you know, flip the bird to everybody. Right. I love that. I'm recovering people pleaser because that is so me. I am a recovering people pleaser, but I'm also wildly impatient. So I now am aware of where I am not setting boundaries. And then I want to all of a sudden be like, no, no, no. And like build up my Phoenix wall. And it's not going to work like that. Like it's a practice because it's kind of uncomfortable at first, like Mm -hmm. starting to say no to things where I used to immediately say yes, without even questioning it. I still feel that like tightness in my chest of like, well, but they're going to get mad or, but they're going to not like me or, you know, what is your advice for when you're starting to set those boundaries and somebody is feeling their people-pleasing habits kind of resurface. That's a normal response. And with anything that we do for the very first time or like that we're getting used to, it's going to be uncomfortable and it just takes practice. So I'd say, don't let that uncomfortability make you halt and stop doing it. So just lean into that uncomfortability, knowing that there's a purpose for this and knowing that you're serving yourself better and that person because you're actually being authentic. Because when we're not setting the boundary, we're not being authentic with people. We're having expectations that are not realistic And then we're both upset. And now with setting that boundary, just remind yourself the goal. Like, okay, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest. This person deserves that. And I deserve that. So remember your why and keep pushing through. Some people do really go from a pace, like I'm passive and now I'm like going to become really aggressive because I just don't have the patience. (laughs) So remember, it's like, how do I... Whatever works. (laughs) How do I do this with me? If I want to maintain this relationship, how do I do this? Like remaining respectful, obviously. I always tell, especially with couples, we want to identify what is it that you're feeling and what is your positive need. We don't want to say like, you suck, you know, you're always (laughs) doing this. We want to really speak to, you know what, this makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I'm going to have to pass. So wait, what's a positive need? A positive need is what you need instead of what you want that person, what that person hasn't been doing. So let me give you an example. So in your relationship, for example, I get this a lot with couples we want to say like, you never pick up the dishes after you're done. This is probably a conversation I had with my husband this morning. Um, Uh, Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Are you in my kitchen? 
<laughs> yeah, you're leaving dishes and wrappers to stuff all over. No, like we don't want to talk about what they suck at doing. <laughs> what we want, to, for lack of more professional terms, <laughs> um, what we want to say is, I have been spending a lot of time cleaning, and it would be really helpful for me if you could pick up those dishes after yourself and put them in the mm-hmm. sink, and then that would help both of us. And most of the time, people are less resistant to our positive need. It would be really helpful for me, right? I have been doing this and I just need yeah. your support in doing this rather than you are not doing a good job at this. You yeah. never do a good job at this, that kind of thing. So it's, it's really a better way to approach it. Yeah. That's obviously a very general and vanilla no. example, but you know. no, no, I totally get it. When I think of boundaries, I think of when I was suffering from postpartum depression and I really felt like my brain had just been hijacked and I was so scared and I felt so awful and people were asking to come meet the baby. I was still thinking, I need to let them come and I would have to cancel and I'd feel so guilty. And it's like, I look back now and I just want to smack myself in the face because I was putting myself through this torture when I needed to set boundaries for my own well-being, the well-being of my child. And you even mentioned before, it's even better for the other person to set boundaries mm-hmm. because you know we have this worry of hurting their feelings. They're not going to like me, but if you are doing it for your health, could you explain how the other person, it's going to be better for them? Because yeah, I feel like that, know that. Yeah. And I think when we explain that, like any reasonable person on their end would understand that, right? And if they really don't understand that, then there's more to be said about that relationship. But when we're honest and we're saying, I really need some time and space to myself, that's better than even being, oh, I can't. And then making up some story or excuse because now they're they right. can question you forever. But just to say, like being honest about that. And in the fourth trimester, especially with like a newborn, sometimes you might need some support with setting those boundaries and it's okay. Like if you have your support person or your partner saying it's not a good time for us, that's okay too. You don't have to have it nailed, like perfect. Yeah, yeah. And you might need some backup and some reinforcement, but that's a big one. That was something I personally struggled with myself. Like people would have like a meal train for us and they were bringing meals. And I'm like, do they have to come in? I don't yes. want them to come in. You know, I yes. just, I need, but they're giving me a meal. So I have to say thank you. And <laughs> it's just women, we do this to ourselves. And it's mm-hmm. like, first of all, I think we're all overthinking it a little bit. At least I am. And just giving ourselves the grace to say, I don't want to do this. The answer is no. And if you don't yes. like that, that's okay. Because I value myself more than being accepted. Like yes being impatient. I want it to happen right away. Like I leave therapy and I wouldn't be like, okay, that cost me X amount of dollars. And so I need to be fixed (laughs) now. And my husband would be like, first of all, it doesn't work like that. But I feel like I read somewhere repetition is the mother of skill, I think was the quote. But Mm -hmm. like, if you keep practicing these boundary setting things, like, thank you for my lasagna, you can't come in the house. (laughs) You know, like it gets easier over time. Do you think that's true? It's just definitely true. Yes. So keep on keeping on. Yes, absolutely. So before I let you go, I could talk to you for like seven years, I think. I just... <laughs> Thank I you. Know, I could do I, the same. No, really. I just... I'm so interested in all of this stuff. And I think that your take on it is like unique and really relatable. Thank you. For women who are listening to this, can you tell them about keeping mommy in mind why you created it and what it would help them achieve. Absolutely. So I had this thought, <laughs> you know, you, you're in postpartum, <laughs> your ideas and your mission and your vision for life changes, right? Oh yeah. So I thought to myself, you know, I struggled postpartum and I'm a psychologist. 
And I know, like, I know how to make myself feel better to some degree. And I can offer myself some therapy skills, but there are so many people out there that don't know that this could feel emotionally draining, not, you know, unfulfilling or whatever it is. I'm having an identity crisis or I'm having a really hard time with this transition and I need some support. And I know that a lot of people don't have access to therapy. I know that people might be doing this alone. Their relationship can be toxic, whatever it is. So I created a resource and it's an e-course. So it's all virtual or digital or however you want to say that. And it targets the main things that I see new moms experiencing. So the whole first section of this course that I offer is talking about the transition to motherhood. And it goes over the identity crisis, the loss and sense of grief that you might feel over your life that you kind of just buried to some degree. Just all of those myths of motherhood, the expectations we set, we work through that in the first section, but then I talk about perinatal mental health. What is perinatal anxiety? What is perinatal depression? And I describe them all and give real life examples. I jump into an entire section where I go over therapy tools, like things that I would do one-on-one with my clients. And I teach it right in my course and I'll cover relationships. There's a whole module for partners to watch together and do homework together so they can That's improve great. communication because it's such a big piece of the postpartum journey. There's a lot of information packed in it. You do it at your own pace. You have access to it forever. It comes with a workbook and then access to a Facebook community where I'm communicating with everybody. But it's a resource that you can do from your own home if you don't have access to services or if you need something to supplement it. And it's really reasonably priced. It's less than one therapy session. And I assure you there's like eight to 10 therapy sessions poured into this course. So it's got a lot of different stuff in it, but I created it because I wanted to help as many people as I could. Cause obviously I'm still one person and I can't, I get inquiries for therapy like all the time. Oh, I'm sure you might get one from me after this conversation, <laughs> but you know, seriously, but I think that's so genius, not only in COVID time that it's an e-course, but I remember struggling postpartum when my husband had to go back to work. I couldn't even find someone to watch my baby. So it just seems like it's a really reasonable way to offer support and therapy. And I don't know. I just think it's great. I just think it's freaking great. And even though I'm out of the woods right now in my postpartum depression, which I want anyone listening to know does happen, Mm -hmm. you do come out on the other side. I'm just still fascinated by what the hell happens to our brains after we have babies. And I would just like to, you know, take the course to learn more about it. But now that I'm have you staring at me right now, the last question is, and it's kind of a big one, but postpartum, I know that there are societal factors, right? But what does happen to our brains after we have a baby? There's a lot that goes on. <laughs> and I think that it's so hard to determine what goes on with every person because we talk about risk factors, like what contributes to people being more vulnerable to something like this. And there's a lot of stuff. So if you've ever had a history of depression, anxiety, or any mental health condition, or somebody in your family has, you're more vulnerable. If you have a vulnerability or sensitivity to hormone fluctuations, perhaps during your cycle or anything like that, you're susceptible and you're more vulnerable. Really so much is loaded into this. We look at your endocrine system. If you've had any endocrine issues, that can be a vulnerability. If you've had trauma, if you're a survivor of abuse, if you have particular social issues that are going on in your life right now, you're more susceptible. The lack of sleep is contributing to this. There's just so much that can possibly be contributing to this. And we look at what happens with the brain. We are now sleep deprived in the fourth trimester, right? We're sleep deprived. We are doing a new role we've never done before. We have limited support and we are also biologically 
primed to be really reactive, right? Your baby cries, you're responding, you're on high alert. You have this vulnerable, fragile human life that you want to protect. And you've never had this like instinct to be so protective. So all of these things have shifted and all of these things are contributing. We're getting all of this information and our body is like, holy smokes, what do Mm -hmm. I do? It's like, no wonder, right? No See, wonder. that's exactly what I was, you keep reading my mind because <laughs> you just described what happens. And yet so many women still feel like it's supposed to be a walk in the park mm-hmm. and it's so not. And I think through conversations like this and women opening up like you have that people realize it's a huge transition and it's yeah. okay to not feel like Kate Middleton looked walking out of the hospital with her oh babies. My. Yeah, I did not look like that. (laughs) That She could have felt like shit too, but I'm just assuming, who knows? Thank you so much. I mean, I told you I could keep you here forever and talk about so many other things. I hope that you'll come back and answer 95 more of my questions. This was was really (laughs) great. And I am inspired to go say no to a bunch of people that I (laughs) would say yes to after our boundaries conversation. So will you tell people where they can find you because you have have one of the best Instagrams I I have ever followed. So where can we find you? I am Psyched Mommy. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E-D Mommy, M-O-M-M-Y. I'm Psyched Mommy on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and my website is psychedmommy.com. All right, that was it. Episode one is in the books. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, I could have spoken to Dr. Reem for another seven hours, but hopefully she will come back on to chat with us and let me know what you guys thought about the episode. I know we talked a lot about identity loss and boundaries and comparison and mommy guilt and shame overall. So let me know what you think. I don't really know what you're supposed to say at the end of a podcast episode. Like, comment, subscribe. I feel like that's like YouTube makeup tutorial people say, but just subscribe and I hope you like it. And I'll talk to you soon. I love you guys. Bye. Bye.